committee will handle applications and the deadline has been set for October the 22nd. Speaking after a special meeting, its acting vice chairman Howard Lee said it was not an easy decision. In this uh, political uh, environment, it is very dangerous to once again participate in any political uh, actions, including uh, elections. This is the first way. And on the other hand is that they worry that uh, ours uh, may not uh, once again represent their voices. So uh, these two worries are uh, in very two extreme sides, but are all uh, determined and illustrated uh, among uh, our members today in the meeting. Yeah. Earlier, the Democratic Party said none of its members had applied to run for LegCo. The United States has returned to the United Nations Human Rights Council three and a half years after its dramatic walkout. The UN General Assembly elected 18 new members of the UN's top rights body, with countries kicking off their three-year council term from January the 1st. State Department spokesman Ned Price said the United States needed to be on the council. Uh, we want to be at the table. We need to be at the table uh, in order to uh, be engaged, whether it's with the WHO, whether it's with the Human Rights Council, whether it's uh, within the Paris context, whether it's within other uh, realms that we've talked about. Uh, if we are to help shape institutions, uh, to help them deliver on their highest aspirations, which is what we intend to do with the Human Rights Council, uh, to help them um, promote the values, the interests that the United States and our partners share, uh, we need to be there. The World Health Organization says tuberculosis is on the rise for the first time in more than a decade, mainly due to the coronavirus pandemic. It says 1.5 million people died from TB last year. The WHO says lockdowns prevented many from getting treatment. Teresa Kazeva is the WHO's Global TB Program Director. The COVID-19 pandemic has reversed years of progress. For the first time in over a decade, WHO is reporting an increase in tuberculosis deaths. Tuberculosis is the world's second top infectious killer after COVID-19, claiming close to 4,100 lives a day. There will be more news on the hour from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and your co-host today is Jim Gold. Good morning, Jim. Good morning. Today we're talking about the shrinking student population and panic buying. The Education Bureau says it's expecting the number of school-aged children to decline in future. And this trend is structural rather than transient. In a paper submitted to the Legislative Council, the Bureau said it may decide to seize the operation of schools with persistent under-enrollment, while schools in districts with a surplus of places may also be relocated to areas with excessive demand. So how serious is the situation? Is it a bad thing? And what impact will it have on education here? After 9.15am, we'll be discussing the psychology of panic buying after many supermarket shelves were emptied ahead of the approach of Typhoon Kompasu. 
Let us know your thoughts, your questions, and your comments on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, backchat at rthk.hk, or you can call us, of course. And our number is 23388266. That's 23388266. To uh, kick off our discussion this morning, we have in our Kowloon Tong studio, Mervyn Cheung, the chairman of the Hong Kong Education Policy Concern Group. And in our Admiralty studio, we have Chim Hon Ming, the chairman of the Central and Western District Schools Heads. Also on the line, we have uh, Dion Chen, the chairman of the Hong Kong District Subsidy Scheme Schools Council. Good morning to all of you. Good morning. And uh, morning. thanks for joining us on the program. So, um... Mr. Chim, maybe we can start with you. Okay. Um, can you first tell us about the situation at your school in terms of student numbers over the past year or so? Have numbers been falling significantly? Um, when I compare with uh, the figures between um, last year's and this year's of P1 uh, students, um, it's dropped and around, I think, more than 10%. However, uh, after we finish the application of P1 next year, we see the increase in the number of applications. So, uh, yes, that, that, that's uh, 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 not a good thing in uh, this uh, coming few years, I think, although we have a, a rise in next year's application. But according to the statistics or the data we have, uh, we think um, the situation will getting worse and worse in the coming six or seven years. Is that also what you've been seeing or what you've been hearing from other school principals in the, in the central and western district? Yes, I, I asked some of my uh, friends or principals in the districts and then uh, some of them give me the reply. Uh, one or two schools, they have a, a drop in their um, enrollments. However, some of the schools, they have an increase in the application for next year's uh, uh, P1 um, students. So I think it varies in among different schools. How do you account for that uh, fluctuation, that uh, the increase in applications for next year after the uh, drop that's been taking place? Uh, frankly speaking, I don't have any uh, uh, concrete ideas why it is uh, increasing the next year's applications. But maybe because last year's of the pandemic, uh, most of the schools can uh, couldn't do any um, you know promotion activities, so that's why for the schools like like my school we are not the the most uh, uh, how to say a popular one or, or the well known one. Maybe we face the uh, difficulties, but this year because of the pandemic situation is getting better, so uh, we can do some kinds of you know promotion activities. We have a, a KG parents meetings, and then um, maybe it, it it helps. Um, the parents to choose uh, some schools like my school. Yes. All right, maybe let's uh, bring in uh, Mervyn Cheung, the chairman of the uh, Hong Kong Education Policy Concern Group. Uh, um, Mr. Cheung, you've yes. been in the education sector for, for a very long time. Have yeah. you seen uh, changes in student population like this before? Uh, well, in, in fact, uh, Hong Kong is a dynamic uh, society, and this also has happened to, to the education field. Um, we have uh, witnessed um, this kind of fluctuations in student numbers uh, over the decades. Uh, for instance, um, by the close of the last century, we still remember that uh, there's, a, there's a lot of uh, uh, clo you know, closing down of schools, uh, or what we normally call uh, uh, you know, uh, killing the schools because of the declining enrollment at that time, and some schools uh, failed to meet the, 
the minimum uh, require uh, the minimum and, and, and size of enrollment, you know, to keep going. And then to, uh, after um, then in 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 the first few years of the a new millennium, we did have a growth in student numbers, and so uh, uh, by the close of the last century, we we have all together killed about. To say 100 primary schools, and then in the end, it's, it's not enough to accommodate the subsequent increase in in the number of students. So that uh, that's renewed the pressure on, on the provision of school places. And now, to, over the uh, over this, and also maybe the next few years, we probably experience another drop in in student numbers. So that uh, would be another challenge for for us to face direct. Now that uh, student numbers are falling, the Education Bureau is looking at uh, seizing the operations of schools with persistent under-enrollment or relocating schools in districts with a significant surplus of school places to uh, districts with excessive demand for school places or, or moving them to new development areas which are expected to have a, a greater demand for school places in the future. I- is this a good way to deal with the fallen student numbers? I think uh, that might be one uh, one of the ways to to deal with the um, the current imbalance between the supply and demand of school places. But don't forget that, uh, uh, as I've just said, Hong Kong is really a dynamic place, even in terms of uh, education provision. Uh, well, guess uh, whether or not uh, there will be an you know another occurrence of, of this kind of fluctuations in student numbers, because over the years. We did uh, see uh, students coming and uh, coming and going, uh, you know, uh, uh, in, in into or out, you know, out of our system. So, with the development of uh, of the Greater Bay Area, and then, to, um, and probably uh, uh, the attraction of, of talents in in, in the, uh, you know into Hong Kong to work here, and they bring in with their families and children, etc. So we, we don't know whether or not there, there will be another possibility of a, of a, of a student growth in, in, you know, in, in, in our society. So I'm always for keeping the existing manpower in schools, say, for three years. And uh, you know, over this period, we can monitor the situation. And then to, uh, at the end of the, uh, of the third year of, of, of this kind of uh, freezing, we can uh, conduct a review to see if you know, uh, some kind of a, an established pattern has already been established, uh, whether the, uh, the shortage of students uh, is a, a kind of a temporary phenomenon or a structural problem that we call for a lot of different strategies in, in, in resolving. That would suggest that we would need to be very careful about closing schools or relocating schools because if there is then an increase in the student population, you know, certain areas might be underserved. Yeah, that, that has happened before. That has happened before. So I think uh, the government uh, should not be that short-sighted in dealing with this kind of uh, temporary changes in, in student numbers. But uh, is a review really necessary? Because uh, according to the uh, paper, the LegCo paper provided by the Education Bureau, they already said that this uh, change in student population is structural uh, and not temporary. Well, that uh, I think uh, the, the Education Bureau would need to provide very concrete evidence to justify the view that uh, uh, the, uh, the, the, the current thoughts for 
is already a, a, is already a, 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 has a structural basis. And Mr. Chen, what do you think about uh, um, what Mr. Chen has been saying about this review? Do you think a review is necessary? Uh, definitely, because uh, just like Mr. Chen has mentioned, uh, when the uh, century changed, that means uh, before the millennium comes, uh, around 100 primary school has already closed, or, or we always say that it is killed. It was killed. Um, and then the past 10 years' time, you see the boom of the population, the P1 population. That's why um, the education Bureau tried hard to find enough speak, uh, seats for the P1 students to, to have uh, education. So in the past 10 years, we struggled to um, how to accommodate the, the booms of the numbers of students. For example, we tried to enlarge, um, uh, extend uh, uh, the, the class, or, or to increase the number of classes, increase the number of, of seats in, in each class. Why, why we need to do that? Is this, it, it is because um, when the millennium is come, coming, uh, 100 schools w uh, were closed. So that means we don't have in, enough places of enough seats for the um, sudden change. So if we do this again because of uh, um, you know, the, the decline of the students' numbers, uh, just like Mr. Zhang has, has mentioned, it, it is a fluctuation every every time. We don't know the birth rate, right? We, we, we don't have a, a crystal ball. We cannot say, we cannot foresee whether it is an increase or decrease in, in the near future. So if we just use this simplest way to close the school, and, I th and I'm afraid that if the number of students increase suddenly in, in maybe uh, next 10 years, how can we find enough classrooms for the students? There's been a lot of debate over the years about small class teaching and uh, many uh, educationalists uh, point to the benefits of small class teaching. 80% uh, um, of Hong Kong primary schools are yes. already practicing that. I mean, is this an opportunity to, uh, to increase the, uh, you know, the number of classes practicing small class teaching and even extend it to secondary schools? Uh, I agree with you that it is, a, it is the best time or ideal time. Um, during the past five or six years, um, the SPs, uh, the Subsidized Primary School Council mm -hmm. and the Ada Primary School Heads Associations have formed a, a group to discuss with the Education Bureau. We urge the Bureau to think of 100% implement the uh, small class size in Hong Kong primary schools because it is the policy. It has already um, run for more than 20 years. But why we still have 20% of primary schools are running in large class size? Uh, during this past five or six years, the Bureau's response is that because uh, we have lots of students. So that's why we, we don't have any capacity to change, to 100% uh, you know, implement the uh, small class size teaching in Hong Kong primary schools. So. When we face the downturn, I think it is uh, uh, an ideal time to fully implement this policy in Hong Kong. Uh, a few days ago, I, I read the insider's perspective. Um, the, officials, uh, the officials of the Bureau accused that some organizations or some principals maybe uh, miss, uh, how, uh, how to say, uh, interpret interpret the small class uh, size policy wrongly. 
it is usually used for uh, helping to uh, to solve the shortage of students. But I, I want to make it clear is that in this past take us few years' time, why we emphasize or why we urge the Bureau to implement it fully because just like uh, you mentioned that it is benefit to all the sectors, no matter it is students or teachers, even the whole education in Hong Kong. So I, I don't see why the insider's perspective have this kind of uh, uh, argument. So, so, Mr. Chung, yes. what, what do you think about Mr. Chim's idea that the government should focus uh, more on uh, expanding small class teaching instead of uh, what, you, what you've been describing as uh, killing schools? Uh, yes, I think um, small class uh, teaching does have uh, its own uh, values and, and benefits. And the, and the uh, benefits uh, su- su- you know, are spilled to all, uh, all stakeholders. Uh, be they to students, uh, teachers, uh, or uh, school management, or, or, or even parents. And uh, in the past, uh, because of the, um, like what uh, Principal Jim has just mentioned, because of the, um, uh, the, the boom in, in, in student population, um, the, the school principals and, and the teachers uh, were not in a position to, to implement small class teaching. Now it's a, it's a golden opportunity to do so. So, so uh, I think uh, there's no reason why why this should not be uh, tried out uh, territory wide. But one thing that uh, I I'm not in total agreement with is that um, small class teaching, because of uh, the inherent uh, values and benefits, should not be mixed uh, should not be mingled with uh, the solution uh, for for the kind of declining enrollment. Because uh, if it is something that is good, it should be done and, and persisted in implementation. And uh, the the question of uh, dropping enrollment should be tackled uh, through through a variety of ways. And and small class teaching should be something of a pedagogical nature, bringing in a lot of teaching and learning values. So I think this is something that should be uh, more clearly differentiated. What other practical ways would you suggest uh, for dealing with uh, the drop in enrolment? Uh, I think, um, uh, for instance, we, 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 we need to uh, reconsider the, the ratio between t- uh, uh, teacher to students. And, uh, and, and at the same time, we also need to uh, reconsider whether or not the teachers themselves are soldering too many teaching periods per week. Because uh, if we can have uh, some, some kind of uh, downward adjustment, uh, say, in, in terms of uh, teaching periods, then t- uh, teachers will, will, be, will be released with more time for taking care of uh, stu- uh, students more on a personal basis, dealing with the, you know, tackling the problems direct instead of uh, on, 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 on a whole class basis. Right. And I think, I mean, I think what most uh, parents are are concerned about uh, with this uh, change in student population is um, how it will actually affect the quality of education. Um, Do do you think uh, school children will actually benefit from this change in uh, student population or or will it actually uh, make uh, learning more difficult or or worse? Um, Now, of course, uh, if we... um 
if we have fewer students to deal with, um, let alone the question of, uh, uh, say, minimum, uh, minimum required uh, uh, number of students for, for running a class, etc., uh, we deal with a, you know, a, few, a smaller number of students in a class. The kind of uh, teaching and learning effectiveness, uh, I think, uh, would, would normally be higher because uh, at least the teacher can, can uh, you know, on an average basis, uh, he or she can spend more time with, with each student, and I think that that, that would be good. And um, so, even in the in higher education, we we are. Uh, you know, having growing emphasis on the kind of teaching effectiveness, say whether or not uh, you know the the, the the big classes uh, with over 100 students or 200 students uh, should continue to be offered, or, or whether or not. Uh, so that's why even if you have a uh, if a, a lecturer or a professor uh, is doing a you know a big class, he or she must be uh, doing some kind of sub, uh, you know, supplementing work through tutorials. And that, that's a, that, you know, that already shows uh, uh, teaching in a, in a smaller scale each time must be better than if he or she has to deal with a, a big class. The uh, Education Bureau paper uh, does mention that uh, the fall in student numbers may uh, limit the uh, number of elective subjects uh, available in secondary schools. Um, uh, how much of a concern is that, uh, Mr. Chim? Um, because I'm a primary school principal, mm. maybe I, I, I don't really know about that. But uh, if, if um, the number of students um, decreased and then their choice may be limited. I, I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe later when you... Uh, interview uh, Dion. Maybe mm -hmm. he, he can share more yeah. with that. Yeah, yeah, D yeah. Dion Chen will be on. Will be with us after nine o'clock. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. Um, yeah. Mervyn Chung. Any thoughts about that? Yes. Uh, this is uh, uh, you know uh, one one of the problems to to face uh, if uh, there is a a very substantial drop in enrollment uh, in in secondary school classes. But uh, I think uh, on a district basis. There can be some collaboration among schools with uh, uh, with greatly reducing uh, enrollments. They can uh, uh, they can you know do some subjects to, certain subjects together, so that uh, they uh, you know by this kind of uh, say uh, joint venture or, or whatever they can still maintain the, uh, the the biggest number of, of subjects to be offered for say for the DSE. Mr. Chim, yes. I'm a bit interested in, in uh, how uh, the uh, quality of education has been affected at, at your school, your primary school, maybe, uh, with uh, fewer or, or yeah, fewer student numbers. Uh, let me explain this because in my school we have already done lots of the things to minimize the uh, uh, student-teacher ratio in, in the school because uh, we have, uh, for example, we have four classes in each level. However, in main subjects lesson, just like um. Chinese, maths, and English, we have already divided them into different groups. Why, why we do that? It's so simple because uh, just like uh, Mr. Jim mentioned, fewer students in each classroom, that means the teachers can have more time to share with different students. Stu uh, teachers can take good care of them. I, I think we run this for nearly 10 years, and, and I see the, uh, um, the positive 
effect of the small class. We even uh, some some classes we just have uh, you know ten some students in in each class. So that 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 is the benefit of a small class size teaching. And uh, have you spoken to uh, parents about this? I mean, did they express any concern or or or, or any uh, um, views on, on this? Uh, I haven't talked about this or discussed this with the parents. I think uh, maybe later when I have time, I, I can um, ask some parents will. But I think for most of the parents, they they concern. What 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 are their concerns? Is that whether the schools can give um, the good education or the best education to the kids? If if the school has done best, I think they they don't need to worry about that. But what they are worrying about is that is that if they see that the school has the trend to close or or to have a less class, then they they are going to worry about that. And Mr. Chung, have you have you spoken to any parents? Yes, um, my my will, and uh, which has been expressed to some some parents, is that because I'm a, I'm the um, I'm, I'm a member of um, the board of managers of of, of uh, an eighty secondary school, and uh, is that uh, they they didn't worry because uh, uh, Eve. Yeah, what like what uh, Principal Jim has just mentioned. What they are most concerned about is that whether or not the quality of education that my my son or my daughter is receiving in, in a certain school is really up uh, up to standard and and possibly e excellent as well. So uh, on this basis, uh, we we can we can uh, put it to, in very clear terms to them that uh, even if uh, you know a drop in enrollment during a, a transition period. Um, their their learning effectiveness and also the um, the the, moti the motivation to teach well by the teachers won't 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 disappear and they can rest assured. And when we talk about this a change in a student population, do you think the actual situation will um, improve once the uh, once our border with the mainland reopens? Yes, I guess so because uh, frankly we have got. Um, Quite a significant number of of uh, students who have got uh, lock, you know, uh, some kind of locked up in in, in, in you know, across the border, because uh, basically we have uh, over twenty thousand of students who are uh, uh, who are called cross border students uh, in in our school system, and this is quite a significant impact on on the on the functioning of the, the, the daily functioning of of our of our education uh, in the service system, so uh, with with the border, uh, which is set to be, uh, uh, we uh, it will be open uh, before uh, by the close of this year. I hope the situation will, will improve. And after all, I must emphasize um, the quality of Hong Kong school education uh, is very high. So that's why uh, we we have been portrayed to become uh, at least a regional hub of education uh, in, in in Asia and. Uh, and all the way up to uh, you know to the university level, we succeed in attracting a lot of international students. So without the troubles of pandemic, uh, I I I think that uh, we we can sustain and do well. If uh, a school has to close or be relocated because of falling numbers, so what does that mean for the the pupils who were attending that school, and uh, how disruptive can that be to their education? Yes, it's disruptive. But uh, one, one possible solution is that um, 
in Hong Kong, um, schools uh, come under you know quite 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 a number of uh, school sponsoring bodies. So if one school in a certain district, uh, say Samsung uh, or 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 Central Western District, uh, has a, you know is facing enrollment problems and and uh, is to relocate to an area with a, a high, a high you know, a population growth potential, then students not willing to be relocated to, to the new campus can choose to study in another school, uh, especially uh, that's uh, run by the same school sponsoring board in the district or to, uh, to, 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 to another sister school or, or whatever. So, um, of course, uh, I think uh, emotionally, this may pose a problem, but then uh, given some time to adjust, it should be all right. Because basically, schools in Hong Kong, especially those in the public sector, are run uh, under a clearly defined it and uh, well-established system that is the code of aid uh, for, for aided schools. And so when they are relocated, they don't necessarily, they won't necessarily be relocated in the same district, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And uh, in fact, they, they, they can have choices. They can have choices. And of course, uh, during the transition period, uh, there's a lot, of, uh, you know, a lot of work to be done by the original school, uh, the new school to, uh, to be relocated to, and also the educational authorities. All right, Mr. Chung. Um, I'm, I'm afraid we have to take a short break for the news summary, but of course we will uh, continue our discussion for a bit longer afterwards uh, when we will be joined uh, by uh, Dion Chen, uh, the uh, chairperson of the Hong Kong District Subsidy Scheme Schools Council. And uh, just a reminder, we will be talking to an expert after 9.15 about the psychology of panic buying as well. So so uh, please call in if you want. Our number is 233-88266. We'd love to hear from you. And now the uh, weather. It'll be mainly cloudy with occasional showers and thunderstorms. Right now, the temperature is 26 degrees, relative humidity 83%. Listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Friday morning with Jim Gould and me, Janice Wong. Let's get back to our discussion on the impact of a shrinking student population here. In the first half of the program, we talked about uh, how uh, we should, uh, how the government should focus more on small class teaching. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is backchat at rthk.hk. Our telephone number is 233-88266. And our Facebook page is backchat at rthk. Radio 3. And uh, still with us here is Mervyn Chung, the chairman of the Hong Kong Education Policy Concern Group, Jim Hon Ming, the chairman of the Central and Western District Schools Heads, and we're also uh, joined by Dion Chen, the chairman of the Hong Kong District Subsidy Scheme Schools Council, who is also the principal of Yinghua College. But before we return to our discussion, we have a few emails, right, Jim? 
Uh, right, yes. Uh, a couple here relating to uh, uh, this week's weather and the Typhoon 8 uh, warnings. Uh, so, uh, John writes, uh, in your news today, I think this was from Wednesday, uh, you keep uh, on repeating verbatim what the observatory said, i.e. that uh, Signal 8 will remain in force before noon. But what does this mean? The English used by the observatory is meaningless because T8 is already in place and it is currently before noon, rather than simply rehashing nonsensical English used by the observatory. Why doesn't RTHK find out what the observatory means? Are they saying that uh, T8 will be lowered around noon? If so, will it be before or after 12? For a lot of uh, workers involved in financial services, it is important to know if T8 will be lowered before noon because that would mean the HKSE will open for the afternoon session. Um, this from uh, Andrew says uh, the observatory was quick to announce on Wednesday morning that the number eight signal would remain up until 4pm. Now that's forecasting in reality. It shows that weather conditions are ignored. The timing is to avoid pressure on public transport, meaning the info from the observatory is not credi credible. And uh, um, another one from um, Bowen. Uh, this relates to another topic that we were discussing uh, earlier this week about uh, vaccination measures uh, around the region um, and uh, virus control measures. Bowen writes, uh, Dear Backchat, we've got to make clear what we're trying to achieve by taking additional measures, including restricting access to restaurants, etc., as was suggested, to boost the vaccination rate. As long as new cases are as few as they are at present, with almost all such cases being imported, there will be little motivation, and some would say rationale, for the unvaccinated to go get vaccinated. If we are arguing that uh, we want to boost the vaccination rate to speed up the opening uh, of the border with the mainland, we need to make sure that a higher rate of vaccination would indeed help us achieve that. It appears there are other reasons for the mainland authorities not to open the border with us. In any case, our extremely low number of new cases which are imported means a higher vaccination rate will not help reduce potential cases being imported from Hong Kong to the mainland. Right, and I have an email here from uh, David, which is uh, related to today's topic. David says, uh, even big class teaching with two or three student teachers assisting is also practical. He says uh, that uh, the uh, government, uh, you already know that small class teaching is effective. So instead of talking about it, get on and do it. We've been hearing this for years and years. Many scientists have been doing experiments and have proved that small class teaching is best. And uh, let's put PE and physical education back into the education curriculum and stop making the parents catch up with the curriculum with homework for kids. If a kid cannot understand the education you're teaching, your teaching is the wrong way. And uh, I've got another email. It's also from David again. And he says that as we have to have all these tutorial centers, there is something definitely wrong with the education system, isn't there? Not only that, you're making the poor poorer by trying to help the kids keep up with the system. Where are all these child psychologists? They are certainly not putting any input into the Education Bureau. And uh, that's from David. Let's uh, return to uh, the uh, discussion. And uh, like I just mentioned earlier, we are now joined by Dion Chen, the chairman of the Hong Kong District Subsidy Scheme Schools Council, who is also the principal of Yinghua College. Good morning, Mr. Chen. 
Hello, everyone. Uh, thanks for joining us this morning. So, um, first of all, I just want to get your response to the email we just received. Do you think, uh, basically, uh, the government should focus more on uh, small class teaching? Well, I think like a lot of researchers showed us that like uh, if the class size is smaller, then teachers they have more time to focus on individual students' needs. I think it is definitely benefit to the students' learning. Uh, whether it's really small class or more teachers in a classroom, like for example, uh, some schools they are like for example the DSS school we are talking about, like uh, they have more than one teacher in the classroom with dealing with about thirty something students. I know some school they are doing like maybe one teachers with twenty students only. So uh, small class size is one of the issue, but another issue to me is about the teachers to the ratio in the classroom. But do you think uh, this uh, small class teaching uh, is a better solution than uh, seizing the operation of schools or relocating them to areas with higher demand? I think there's definitely two different things there. And uh, of course, like uh, for the benefit or learning benefit of the students, like small class size, uh, small class teaching or like the higher or say lower the teacher student ratio, definitely is a great thing. And uh, of course, like uh, using small class uh, you know, teaching is one of the solutions to solve the current issues. I mean, the low low birth rate or like whatever. It is uh, thinkable, definitely. But I think, like to us, we better like think about like what is the main benefit of the students. Um, Mr. Chen, uh, uh, this is Jim Gould. Uh, good morning. Uh, uh, could, could I ask, um, the Education Bureau uh, paper to the Legislative Council that lists a number of factors which uh, uh, may be uh, contributing uh, to the fall in numbers at uh, public sector primary and secondary schools. Uh, they include uh, relocation um, and parental choices, including transferring from public sector schools to Di direct subsidy scheme schools and or private or international schools. Um, so you're the uh, chairman of the uh, Hong Kong uh, Direct Subsidy Scheme Schools Council. I mean, um, have you seen um, much evidence of uh, parents wanting to uh, switch their children uh, out of uh, government schools? Well, I do not quite agree with this statement, to be honest. Like, uh, in Hong Kong, we only have about 29 DSS primary schools. And uh, the number of the places actually are fixed. And in the past, like these DSS schools, they are very popular to parents or welcomed by parents. So, uh, in the past, we already got a sufficient number of students enrolled into the, these primary schools. Like, so whether we have any vacancies for uh, the students transferring to it, uh, I doubt that. But of course, like in the year just passed, we know that like some of the families they relocated from Hong Kong to elsewhere, and definitely there are some vacancies in different levels. I understand that some students from uh, public sector school they would like to join, but whether it is one of the main reasons of losing students, I, I, I don't think so. And um, what do you think, uh, Mr. Chim? Um, well, uh, yeah, yeah, Dion. Yep. Uh, so, like, uh, for example, like uh, the current situation, we definitely know that, like, the, uh, the decrease of number of students in Hong Kong. Uh, one of the main reasons is that like, some of the families relocated to other countries. So it makes the number of students dropped it. And uh, of course, at the same time, then, I know government put it into the paper saying that like uh, relocating some schools, uh, it helps I mean, solve the issues, which I do not object. And, you know, some of the new districts, like, for example, Dongchong or like some of the different new districts in the northern part of new territories, they definitely uh, need more schools there. So relocation of schools definitely can help to solve some issues like some schools in some 
in a well-developed cities, then uh, they have less student issues. Uh, I want to add um, my opinion is that um, if the government thinks that uh, the students drop in the public sector or, or the uh, DSS system, then uh, the parents can choose to uh, to transfer their kids to the DSS system. Is it really what the government wants? That means to um, to uh, encourage the parents to choose the uh, DSS rather than the public sector? I, I, I have a, a question about that because most of the schools in Hong Kong are run by government's fund. It is nearly uh, 450 pirate, uh, primary schools are uh, subsidized or government schools. How can we um, ask all the parents um, um, to move their students or their kids to the DSS system, even the private sector? I have a query about that. And then, is it that is it because the private sector didn't do good? I I cannot agree with that. I if if you allow me to add a point here, I fully agree that like the public sector schools, primary schools, they have been doing a great job in educating students. I don't think the government would like the students from the public sector school to move to the DSS schools. I think DSS school is just only one of the choices. And as mentioned before, we only got 29 uh, DSS schools in Hong Kong compared with 450 uh, subsidized primary schools in Hong Kong. It's really, really small portions. So uh, it won't be an, uh, an issue that like uh, the DSS school will take most of the students from the public sector. I think the issue is now, I think for the paper, is they're talking about why some of the students in public sector school are losing. And uh, they said if they are losing to a direct subsidy scheme school or the private schools, it is one of the reasons. But as I mentioned before, I don't think it is the main reason of like the number of students in public sector school are dropping. Mervyn Jung, have you seen any signs of uh, increased demand from parents to send uh, their children to international schools? Uh, I think it varies from, from family to, to family. Um, <clears throat> now, uh, here in Hong Kong, we have uh, quite uh, a diversity of uh, choices in terms of the kind of schools to, to go for. And in my will, uh, international schools uh, form one group, and then the DSS schools uh, form yet another and then the, uh, we, we do have uh, you know, some other, uh, uh, what they call uh, private independent schools. Yeah. And of yeah. course, the bulk of provision comes from the, um, from the public sector uh, through uh, uh, especially aided uh, schools. And of course, uh, there, there, there is a small handful of prim uh, government schools in, in both the primary and secondary school sector. So I, I don't think there is a really a very a key, a very uh, fierce competition, uh, you know, among these uh, these groups. Some parents do have their their own thinking. For instance, uh, in the end, they they will send their, their children abroad for higher education. So they do early preparation by sending the children to to say international schools or DSS schools that run to, uh, an international curriculum as well. So that's the choice of, of maybe. Just a, just a small handful of parents, and that may not uh, come to an extent that there is a very intense competition between the, the public sector and the DSS 
and, and, and also international schools, uh, you know, and at the uh, another end of, of the provision. And what about uh, parents moving students to uh, DSS schools or, or direct subsidy schools? Have you seen uh, more and more parents doing that? Uh, we do have, uh, I think, a growing number of uh, parents doing that. But it's just that uh, Principal Chen has mentioned, after the DSS sector only occupies, I guess it's, a, it's, it's around 10% of, of, of the total t- uh, trunk of provision. So the, the effect... Uh, uh, not not exact, uh, not entirely minimal, but but uh, uh, quite quite limited uh, in, in in my view. Yeah, so I don't think uh, uh, the, the 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 kind of smooth and peaceful coexistence of uh, you know, these different schools should have any and and any dilution or or even conflict. But uh, of course, you you can't always single out a few highly reputable schools in the territory. To, to to highlight this uh, this phenomenon or, or even problem, and we need to consider the whole thing, uh, you know, on on, on every scale. All right, I will have to leave it there. But uh, once again, thank you all, all of you for joining us this morning. That's uh, Mervyn Cheung, the chairman of the Hong Kong Education Policy Concern Group, Chim Hon Ming, the chairman of the Central and Western District Schools Heads, and Dion Chen, the chairman of the Hong Kong District Subsidy Scheme Schools Council. The council, and uh, he's also uh, the uh, principal of Yinghua College. And uh, it's now um, 17 minutes past nine, and it's time for us to move on to our second and final topic today and uh, that is a panic buying many people rush to supermarkets and wet markets to stock up on food before typhoon Kompasu hit hong kong on wednesday with uh, pictures of empty shelves going viral and triggering more panic buying but why do people do this to provide us with some insight we're joined on the line now by clinical psychologist dr cindy chan good morning dr chan Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on, on this morning. So, so first of all, um, was it really panic buying that we saw? Yes, it's panic buying. Yeah. And how do we define panic buying? Um, actually, when people uh, went to shops or supermarket to buy things irrationally, even when they even have stocks at home and buy excessively, uh, the needs is excessive. So, uh, the amount of them to buy the goods is excessive. So actually, it's irrational and excessive. We, we saw this uh, phenomenon uh, in the early days of the pandemic, uh, when there was a, a lot of uncertainty about, uh, you know, what effect it would uh, have on our daily lives. Um, but the, the arrival of a typhoon and the possibility of a number eight signal—it's uh, it's a very short-term phenomenon, isn't it? I mean, uh, usually, usually, uh, usually the number eight signal is gone in 24 hours. So, I mean, how, how do you explain that uh, people would get so concerned that they would rush to the supermarket to, to stock up on an occasion like this? Um, yes, actually for uh, the pandemic, actually is uh, people with a decreased sense of control and also increased sense of uncertainty. So actually they go to buy a lot of maybe toilet papers and rice. Uh, but for the typhoon, actually a similar situation. People have reduced sense of control and maybe it's uncertain because they don't know how long the typhoon number eight will be host uh, uh, for how long. So they worry about it. But actually there is also another phenomenon in psychology can explain this 
maybe is groupthink, because when people are belonging to some social group, actually they will inevitably be influenced by. Their peers. So actually, in fact, panic buying is something that could be explained by that.、Um, so they will maybe、uh, conform to the group norms to buy excessively, maybe toilet papers or rice,、um, in order to、uh, conform,、uh, because they see their friends buying the same similar amount of that、uh, goods or、uh, products. So it's related to herd mentality, then.、Mm, yeah. Right. And uh, but, but uh, from my understanding, panic buying is really a、uh, psychological mechanism to deal with、uh, our fear and uncertainty. But how does this mechanism? I mean, how is this mechanism triggered when it comes to normal typhoons that we deal with every year? Okay, actually, maybe actually it's also related to because、uh, the pandemic is still on and people maybe already the sense of control or uncertainty. Is already increased.、Uh, the sense of control is reduced, and this actually increased the anxiety.、Uh, maybe because of、uh, it's of October and typhoon is、uh, unlikely, so maybe they will worry about oh,、uh, how would that? Maybe some news、uh, about oh, this typhoon is quite uh, quite uh, strong, so that they worry about the the duration of the hosting of the typhoon. So the increased anxiety make them to need to do something in order to. Reduce the anxiety related to the decreased sense of uncertainty. So they go to do something, and buying actually is the easiest way to regain some control. So they go to supermarket to buy some toilet papers.、Um, also, in neuroscience, actually, when we have increased anxiety,、uh, the parts in our brain, in the limbic system called the amygdala, actually is responsible. For our fear and anxiety will increase. The activation will increase. So with this increased level of activation in the amygdala, actually it will hijack our rational brain. And in this way, actually, our rational brain, the prefrontal cortex, cannot be activated. So we will do something irrationally, and we will follow the crowd to buy excessively. And and how does this following the crowd or or, or the group think? I mean, how does it work? Is it sort of spread through、uh, social media, or is it instinctive, or is it you know somebody walking past the supermarket and seeing a seeing a long line and thinking I better join it? I think there's a, a lot of different factors in,、uh, influencing the group think. Maybe because right now、uh, the communication is so easy in group chat, in the、uh, WhatsApp or WeChat. Actually, people just type in, "Oh,、uh, uh, the supermarket is out of stock of rice" or something like that, and the friends will go and buy. Maybe the friends influence them, and also the social media is also a very important medium to influence people to do something according to the social norm. So, from what you're saying, is panic buying、uh, worse now because of our advances in technology? Ah, I, I think there, we need to do some research on that. But it could be something like that because the communication is much easier with internet, with our communication system right now. And、uh, from what you're saying earlier, this latest round of panic buying—it seems like it is related to uh, the uh, long COVID pandemic uh, we've been de- dealing with. Then,、uh, maybe because you know people have habitually 
uh, stocking things uh, due to the pandemic, especially last year. So maybe they used to do that in order to help them to reduce their anxiety because it's obsession. So when they try to do that for reducing anxiety, maybe they will repeatedly do that in order to reduce their anxiety in particular situation like typhoon. And what does this uh, reflect in terms of uh, the mental health of uh, Hong Kong people? Uh, I guess uh, may it may not be only for Hong Kong people. It may be for a, it, it may be a global situation because the pandemic actually is uh, a new uh, 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 a crisis for the whole world. So actually, people in different uh, areas of the world actually face a lot of uncertainty because they have never faced such things before. So actually people have increased anxiety, maybe more mood problems, depression, or more obsessions, more obsessive compulsive behaviors. Mm. Um, another factor may be uh, uh, quite a lot of people have got still got some extra money on their octopus cards or other payment platforms because we had the second round of the uh, uh, consumption vouchers uh, uh, dispersed on the 1st of October. Um, so, I mean, could, could that be a factor? People have still got, got some extra money, let's go and spend it. Uh, it could be, but I'm not sure whether they will... Uh, rather to use those money t for uh, buying uh, some uh, products of good they long for for a long time or they already use it before the typhoon <laughs> because it's out uh, on October the 1st. But <laughs> maybe it could be one of the factors. Yeah. And uh, we, we talked about uh, mental health of Hong Kong people earlier. Do you think it is uh, getting worse? I cannot say that uh, definitely because there's no uh, research for that uh, up on uh, in the recent one years maybe uh, the increased uh, prevalence of maybe anxiety disorder and depression but actually I guess uh, due to all the uh, issues or the different situations happening in the world and in Hong Kong. Actually, I could say that also from my clinical experiences, people have increased anxiety episode, increased depression, depressive episode, that I could see from my clinical experience. So what advice do you have for people dealing uh, with this? I guess actually uh, it is an inevitable for us to face uh, the decreased sense of control and the, of the increased uncertainty in this world, especially for various uh, phenomena like the pandemic, like typhoons, like uh, the economic situations of different areas of the world. Uh, so first of all, we need to be aware of our anxiety. We need to acknowledge that, yes, we have increased anxiety inside us, and we need to embrace them and accept the fact that we have decreased sense of control and increased uncertainty. So when we learn how to manage our anxiety with uh, proper strategies, then we have to keep things in perspective. Uh, we need to rationally assess the current situation and act accordingly to our rational thinking. So we need to differentiate between credible and incredible source of information. And other point may be uh, people need to increase their social connection uh, in, in, uh, in order to get more support and also engage in more leisure, leisure activities in order to reduce the stress level. So
so that's uh, so stress coping actually is even more important in order to build the resilience for us to face uh, the uncertainty and the loss of control in in the face of all these uh, situations uh, in Hong Kong in the world. Other than the uh, pandemic, uh, we had a pretty traumatic year in 2019 with the civil unrest which affected uh, different people in different ways. Uh, is there any hangover of that uh, still existing in society which may influence the way people behave? Uh, I guess, yeah, there's a lot of uh, uh, influences right now in a society. Say, for example, immigration. So people will face uh, separation with their good friends or family members. Uh, some of them will immigrate to uh, uh, other countries and some of them stay in Hong Kong. So the separation, the change in the lives of the people and also uh, maybe the change in uh, uh, how they feel their current uh, situation if they choose to live in Hong Kong. So it all actually generates a lot of uh, emotions, uh, maybe positive and negative emotions. So they need to learn how to deal with those emotions more effectively. All right, uh, we'll have to leave it there, but uh, thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, that's uh, Dr. Cindy Chan, a, a clinical psychologist, and uh, also many thanks to all of you who commented through email. And, uh, of course, uh, thank you to you, Jim, for joining me this morning. And, um, You're welcome. <laughs> and uh, that's it for this week. Uh, we'll be back at 8.30 on Monday. Now, here's the weather. It'll be mainly cloudy with occasional showers and thunderstorms. The top temperature will be around 28 degrees. Winds moderate to fresh northeasterlies, occasionally fresh, occasionally strong offshore later. And the outlook, cool and dry over the weekend and early next week. Temperatures in the morning will fall progressively to around 20 degrees. Right now, it's 27 degrees and the relative humidity, 82%. It's now half past nine. The elderly are at high risk of life-threatening conditions from COVID-19. The virus can damage one's heart, lungs and brain. It may cause multiple organ failure that requires intubation in an ICU. After effects can hamper a recovery. Vaccines reduce risks of serious illness, hospitalization and death. Experts advise that any elderly person who has had a flu shot can safely receive COVID-19 vaccines. Get vaccinated early. It's now 9.30. With a new summary, here's Vicky Wong. The Association for Democracy and People's Livelihood says it will start accepting applications from members to run in December's Legislative Council election. The association said potential candidates will not need nominations from other members. The United States has returned to the United Nations Human Rights Council three and a half years after its dramatic walkout. The UN General Assembly elected 18 new members of the UN's top rights body, with countries kicking off their three-year council term from January the 1st. 
And the American property heir, Robert Durst, has been sentenced to life in prison for killing his best friend, Susan Berman, to stop her talk talking about his wife's disappearance in 1982. I'll have more on these stories at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Designer, great interpreter of Beethoven. As well, oh so shy, quiet and retiring doggy council co-founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is a really for adults, it's not really for kids. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Decipher of what's happening behind the lift. Good morning. In-depth interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Very good morning to you. Welcome to Friday here on The Morning Brew, where relative normality returns after quite a week. At 10.40 today, composer and conductor and our mate Colin Touchin will be with us for this week's classical music chat. He'll return to his normal Wednesday slot next week. I didn't want to miss out. Today he's going to talk about how the musical greats interpreted the weather in their work. Topical indeed, with some lovely musical examples. After 11, Danny hits with you for sports and all. And at 12.10, of course, it's Marshy movie time. Critic James Marsh brings you the week's hits and misses, including The Last Duel and Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Join him and Danny on Facebook Live, Morning Brewers, our page.